Micah chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of his God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The response reads on page 247. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks Thanks be to God. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The prophet Micah is often overlooked, in part because he was a contemporary of Isaiah. And Isaiah tends to steal the spotlight. He's got one of the biggest books in the Bible. And also, their messages are very, very similar. But Micah contains this beautiful prophecy. I told you about it earlier, that God's chosen one would come out of the city of Bethlehem. And so what Micah has to say to the people of his time and to us today, what he has to say is so valuable. It's precious. It's full of comfort and hope for the likes of you and me. But before we get there, before we dig into what we heard today, it's important to know the context, to know what the prophet Micah is even doing. So here's the scene. We're going to back up just a little bit in terms of history. If you think about the kingdom of Israel, one of the main landmarks is King David, who took over after Saul had sinned. King David reigned about the year 1000 BC. It's an easy landmark to remember in the timeline in your head, 1000 BC. David had a son, Solomon, who reigned after David died. And then quickly afterwards, with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the kingdom fell apart. It had been a united kingdom, one king over all of the tribes of Israel. But with the accession of Rehoboam to the throne, the kingdom split in two. And so you have two parts to the kingdom, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is ten tribes who went off to follow another king, not one of the kings from David's house. And then the southern kingdom is the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, who followed the king that was from David's house. Their capital was in the city of Jerusalem. So you have these two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the tribes of Israel and the tribe of Judah. The northern kingdom is often called Samaria. So when you hear about Samaria in the Old Testament, it's often referring to those ten tribes of Israel. So already, just a generation, two generations after David, the kingdom is split apart. Not many years after David was king. Micah shows up on the scene about 300 years after David was king. 
in the uh, early 700s BC. Micah shows up on the scene and things have gone downhill fast. It was bad enough that the kingdom split in two, but the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, had a series of terrible kings. They had no good kings. They all did whatever was right in their own eyes. They worshipped other gods. They led the people astray. They sacrificed even, as dreadful as it sounds, they sacrificed even their own children to these false gods. And these kings, in being so wicked, also led all of the people astray. No one was innocent. God sent his prophets time and again to the people of Israel, to the northern kingdom, to warn them, to lead them to repentance. But time and again, they persecuted the prophets. They ignored them. They plugged their ears and wouldn't listen. And so finally, in the year 722, 722, the kingdom of Assyria, a foreign kingdom, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and carried people off to exile, took them out of their homes. It is an anticipation of that event that Micah begins prophesying. He's warning that northern, northern kingdom of Israel, watch out, God is sending someone to punish you. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your wicked deeds. Here's what he says to the rulers of Jacob. Hear, you heads of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you, he says, to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, you who tear the skin off my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. They will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. It's a dreadful prophecy. That's what the prophets are all about, warning the people of Israel from their wickedness. God is going to chasten them. He's going to discipline them. So turn now, repent, and believe in God. The northern kingdom of Israel did not repent, and so they were led away into exile. But still, the southern kingdom remained somewhat faithful. They had some good kings along the way, but they were tempted to follow the same path that their siblings had followed. You'd hope, you'd always hope, that when an older brother gets into trouble, <laughs> that his younger brother learns his lesson. But they did not. They did not learn the lesson. Although they heard the prophets and occasionally listened to them, finally, a hundred years after Israel, the northern kingdom, was taken away into exile. The Babylonians came in and sacked Jerusalem. And God's word was fulfilled, what he had warned by the prophets, what he had warned by the prophet Micah. This is the context into which Micah is preaching. It's a dreadful time. Terrible. The kingdom is falling to pieces and there are enemies knocking at the door and everybody is ignoring it. Everybody's pretending like it's no big deal. Everybody's pretending like things are going to be just fine. We can just keep on doing whatever it is that we have been doing. It's going to be okay. Nothing to worry about. That's the context into which Micah is preaching warnings about sin. Now it's important to know that the warning against sin and even the disaster that comes following that warning, they're all meant to call God's people to repentance. So when Micah says, the Assyrians are coming and they're going to carry you off into exile, it's meant to call the people to repentance. It's not trying to be mean to them. It's not trying to make their lives miserable. It's so that they will turn away from their evil. And even when the Assyrians come and rob the Israelites of their homes, that disaster is meant to call the people to repentance. Look, the Lord meant what he said. That's so important to know because it is very, very tempting to ignore the warnings and when disaster comes to deny its significance. This is what the people did. They ignored the warnings 
While the prophet was saying there are enemies at the door, the people said, there's peace, there's peace, we're just fine. We'll make a deal with those Assyrians. We'll make a deal with those Babylonians. And then when they were exiled, they said, woe is me. What can we do? What's gone wrong? Why does God hate us? Never once thinking about repentance. The problem, the problem that they don't recognize is that it's not the enemies at the door that are really the source of their trouble, but it is their own hearts. It's corruption from within. The enemies at the door, they're kind of like vultures circling around a dead body. The vultures didn't kill that animal lying there. But death was already there. The Assyrian army and the Babylonian army, they're just like those vultures. The death was already there. It was in the hearts of the people of Israel. And so they needed to repent. They needed to repent and be certain about God's word. The prophet speaks into this situation, and he's speaking not his own opinions. He's not some pundit hypothesizing about how things are going to go in politics, but he's speaking the word of the Lord, which endures forever, which smashes the rocks to pieces, which, move, which moves mountains, and God's word is true. So there should have been no uncertainty for the people about this disaster that was coming. Uncertainty about that disaster, doubt about whether or not the Assyrians were really going to come and invade, or the Babylonians were really going to come and invade, doubt about that meant that they would also doubt the salvation that God had promised. If you think that the disaster that is coming for you is not really so bad, or you're going to be able to hack it on your own, then what do you care about the offer of salvation? If you don't take seriously the threats, the warning, God's love for you and trying to turn you from your sin, if you don't take that seriously, then his salvation means nothing to you. That was the problem for the people of Israel and then for the people of Judah. They didn't take the disaster seriously. And so the salvation meant nothing to them. Now that's true, generally speaking. That's true of the whole nation. And we remember this story from earlier in the kingdom of Israel when Elijah was the prophet. He was lamenting his fate. I have to speak to this people and nobody will listen to me. He kind of moaned about it to God. He said, I'm the only one here who listens to you, O Lord. And God said to him, there are still 7,000 in the nation of Israel who have not bent the knee to Baal. 7,000, which to Elijah seemed like a tiny number, but in God's eyes, it was his faithful remnant. So that's where we are today. This is the lead up to Micah chapter 4, which I read to you tonight, because the question for you is the same as the question that was raised for the people of Israel who were faithful, for that remnant, for those who heard the warning, for those who took to heart the threat of disaster, for those who knew and saw their sin, who saw the sin of their leaders, who saw the nation going astray, for them, for them, what are they to do? What happens if the nation doesn't repent? What happens if the disaster comes to us anyways? What happens if we suffer because we live among a sinful people, because we are in a sinful land, because we are part of a crooked and twisted generation? What happens then if disaster comes anyway? This is the place where Micah speaks such a hopeful message. Listen again to what he says about the mountain of the Lord. It will be established as the highest of the mountains. And God will judge between all the peoples and there will be peace. No more will nations come knocking at your door threatening disaster. No more will anyone be afraid because although at that time they walked each one according to his God, we, Micah says, we will walk in the name of our God, in the name of our Lord. 
There's no use in denying the possibility of disaster. There's no use in denying the wickedness of our world. But that does not take one bit away from God's promises. Even after three chapters in Micah, where he is spouting denunciations against the nation of Israel and against the people of Judah, even after all of that, chapter 4 comes along and it is full of hope because the promises of God are true and they hold whether or not disaster comes. They hold for you whether or not the world around you crumbles. They hold for you whether or not you live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Those promises hold for you because you are God's chosen. You are God's people. You are his beloved. So the question for you, as it was for those faithful people in Israel and Judah, the question is not, are we going to be carted off to exile? Are we going to suffer at the hands of our enemies? Are we going to have to endure hardship or trouble? That's not the question. The question is, will God be faithful? Will he keep his promises to us in spite of all of that? That is where Christmas is such a precious, precious reminder of God's faithfulness. Look at what God does for you. The people of Israel and the people of Judah, they were gone. They were sent off into exile. They had no land. Their temple was destroyed. They had nothing going for them. And even from that stump that God had raised to the ground, even from that, he raised up a son of righteousness himself in human flesh, the Lord of glory sent for you to deliver his promises of salvation to you. It's in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that Jesus himself suffers the worst disaster imaginable, crucified for crimes he did not commit, hung upon a cross to suffer innocently, being forsaken even by his own father. He suffers that disaster so that you can be sure, so that you can know that whatever comes, trouble or good fortune, hard times or wonderful times, you can be sure that the Lord is your God and it is in his name that you walk. Life as a Christian may look at times a lot like the life of Noah. I've talked about this before, but it's always such a helpful image to bear in mind. The life of Noah is one that involved enduring not only the scorn and reproach of his neighbors, but also enduring the rain. Noah had to climb in the ark while disaster fell on the earth. Well, everyone else was wiped away. Noah had to endure, trusting not in his own handiwork, in the stability of the ark because he had built it, but trusting in God's promises, trusting in his word. That's the life of a Christian, enduring. Enduring not because you are so strong, not because you are so faithful, but because God is. He has shown it so clearly, conquering even death and the grave and hell itself. And if the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church, neither will you fail to reach the goal. So be strong and steadfast. Put your hope in God. Listen to his promises. Do not quake or tremble or be afraid when disaster comes. But know that the Lord, the Lord is with you. And he is the one who has conquered all of your foes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.